Welcome to a Monday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. And Felix is still out with a body injury, I'll call it. Let's call it a brain injury. It's law school final time for him, so he is out. He will be back next week to help me cover the draft lottery. But I am joined by the Sporting Tribune beat writer extraordinaire (laughs) for the Ducks, Derek Lee. And Derek, I'm going to start this off by just showering you with some praises. Uh, you deserve it for how well you've covered the team this year. I mean, you and I know how much of a struggle at times it was to, to get your foot in the door. But once you got in there, you provided coverage for the fan base, for people that listen to the show, for people that don't listen to the show, that was invaluable. And so I just want to give you a bunch of praise, give you a bunch of congratulations, and thank you for what you did this season. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you for having me on. I know we... We tried to get this done a couple weeks ago. I've just been super busy, and now that yeah, um, things have died down a little bit, they will hop on here. So thank you for having me. Perfect, perfect. All right, so we're just gonna kind of jump in. It's the off season. The draft lottery is coming up. I guess let let's start there, and then we'll get to the other topic. But draft lottery is next week, and just to kind of lay it out there for everyone for that is uh, maybe forgotten, but number one overall odds for the Ducks at twenty five and a half percent. Winning the lottery is at 18.5%, um, but because other teams can jump up, puts them at 25.5%. Um, the the odds of going down to second are 18.8%, and the odds of being in third are 55.7%. So I'm just going to kind of put you out on a limb to start right now. Where do the Ducks pick? Oh, man. I've been, <laughs> I've been really trying to avoid this. I had, like, even I've been looking at, like, draft stuff, uh, and I, I, have the, I have on the templates first round and it's just that just first round. i don't even have what number pick they're going to be yeah uh, i i, I yeah. certainly hope it's going to be first i think yeah. that'll be really cool yep. to have the first ever overall pick in their history i mean they came really close in 06 with bobby ryan yep and uh we know we all know how that turned out so i think one i would really hope so i think two if you get uh adam fantilli right there yeah. that's a really good pick too i think three um Depending on who you ask, it'll be either Leo Carlson or Matt Bay Mitchkov. So I, I think I know a lot of people don't really like the uncertainty of that, yeah. especially with Mitchkov and the whole Russia situation. So it's it's so tough on the Russia situation because I was just reading. I think Scott Wheeler put out his updated draft ranking today, and the way that he was describing Matt Matt Matt, eh, Matt Vay Mitchkov, it made it so enticing, and it's so hard because I've kind of had him at fourth the entire time. And then I read that, and I'm like, oh, boy. Am I going to convince myself that if the Ducks end up third, they should take Mitchkov? It's just it's so tough with that uncertainty and just how long it's, it's going to take him to come over, right? No, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, the talent is obviously, obviously there. Like, he plays he plays in a men's league. He plays in the KHL. So it's yeah. not like he's doing this against people his, his age. He's doing it against guys that are the age of, like, prime players in the NHL. So for him to be able to up his game to that kind of level already at such a young age is really incredible. Yeah. Um, All right. I'm just going to say, screw it. I'm going to go full positivity, throw it out in the world. Ducks are going to pick first overall. All right. Let's hope. (laughs) Everyone can blame me if it doesn't happen. I'll I'll take the praise if it does, though. Well, well, speaking of that, there is, I don't know if you saw it, there was a video earlier that the Ducks tweeted out. Okay. And it was was Wild Wing... He was pushing all the ones all over the microwaves in, inside <laughs> Honda Center. And I told my friends, I was like, if the Ducks drop, 
I'm blaming this video. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh, Matt in our YouTube chat saying clip it and ship it to me saying that. Uh, a question about that video that I think, I feel, I think it was Olaf in the Crash Spawn Discord brought this up. Why are there so many microwaves in Honda Center? That's a good question. You know, I, I want to say it's maybe just because, like, convenience sake, maybe. Yeah. But, There's yeah, a that, lot of microwaves. Like, yeah. significant amount. I, I was very much surprised by that. But, you know, it is what it is. All right. Anything else that you want to briefly talk on on, on the draft lottery? Because uh, with Felix not being here, it's time to definitely open up something that he uh, put out on Twitter. Uh, not really. I think we'll, we'll have a lot more to discuss next week okay. after the the lottery odds are kind of set in stone. Yep. Like there yep. will be, I mean, there's still like a month away after that. So there's yep. still lots of time to kind of think about who's going to be there when they pick. So, yep. Completely agreed. All right. So Felix isn't here yet. I'm still going to farm him for content. That, <laughs> that's a very inside joke that only Felix probably gets with me making it. But uh, he put out this tweet and he blames me for it saying for all the talk of the Kings being so far ahead of the Ducks development wise over the last few years, the Ducks are undoubtedly in a better position or better position to win the Stanley Cup in the next five years than the Kings. What are your thoughts on this? Because I, I'll be completely blunt with this. This take came from him and uh, both of us talking on a Patreon episode and me asking him this question. And he thinks I forced him to tweet it first off. But what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think it's a very bold statement. <laughs> it, it is. Um, but I'll give my reasons. It's, it's, okay. I think a lot of people had issues with one word, and that word was undoubtedly. Yep. Because when you kind of subject, especially in sports, when you subject things to kind of like ultimatums or absolutes, yeah, then it, it's, it leads to a very, very uh, big landslide in terms of uh, people kind of like picking your arguments apart. So I think that that is probably the only issue I think that a lot of people had with it. I think um, the way that both teams are set up, I mean, you have the Kings, they just lost the Oilers for the second yeah. consecutive year. Um, and I have experience watching them firsthand just from covering the last couple of playoff games. And the Kings are really a good team. Like, it's, it's uh, like, you can't call it any other way. They're, they're very good. Obviously, you have to be good to make it into the playoffs. We saw that with the Panthers just last night and how even just getting into the playoffs, you have a chance. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, the Kings are they're a really good organization. They have a lot of good guys coming up. Yeah. Brant Clark is someone I yeah. would definitely be interested in keeping up with. Um, Dowdy and Kopitar, they're getting a little bit older. They're still very good players. I think the main issue is who's going to be in net for them next year, as opposed to the Ducks have John Gibson for however X amount of time still. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think I, I don't think there's anything wrong with what Felix said besides the undoubtedly. Yeah, I, I would so. agree with that. I, I would agree with that. I think undoubtedly is the one, one thing that I would definitely maybe have told Felix to not put out there, but you know, it is what it is. Um, but I, I think there's merit to it. And this came to be also fair. I probably pushed him in the sense of, I made the point that this was the case, not saying undoubtedly, but I mean, cause if you think about it, right? Like mm. I, I think the issue the Kings have is that they went about it the right way. Like they traded Alex Martinez. They traded uh, Jake Muzzin. They traded, uh, Tyler Toffoli, they did all that, right? That the mm. Ducks, quite frankly, didn't do under Bob Murray and didn't do until Pat Verbeek really took over. And they got all these draft picks. But I think one of the key elements 
of a rebuild like that is you also have to hit on your top 10 pick right that you get from being that bad i think getting those ancillary picks are important because they allow you to go out and get the kevin fialas of the world because they got they traded brock faber and another pick but i think both of them were things that they got in in trades for uh kevin fiala and um but the issue is is that i mean quite frankly alex turcott hasn't worked out so far and mm-hmm. looks like a miss, especially when you look at who was taken uh, after him with Trevor Zegris, with, I believe, Mort Sider taken after him, all, all these guys that were taken after him. Brant Clark looks great. I think Quinton Byfield is still a project, and how he pans out is really going to be important. But I think that if you were to look at kind of the two franchises, I think people picked apart that tweet from the perspective of the Kings were better this year. Mm-hmm. But I think over the next five years, you look at the Kings, their core right now is – these guys that are all 26, 27 and older. I mean, Kopitar is still leading the team in points. Fiala is great at 26. Kempe is good at 26 also. But Arvidsson's going to be 30. Dano is going to be 30. Dowdy's over 30. Like, the their top performers are all in their 30, 26 to 33-year-old range, whereas the Ducks are more so in a different range with their top performers being the Zegers. Granted, Terry's 25, going to be up in that 26 range next year. Um, but I think the Ducks hit on their top 10 picks in a way the Kings haven't. And I think that is kind of, I think a key element of that. And then you also look at the later round picks and the ducks have been able to get Pavel. Min- I mean, not later round pick, but he was 10th overall, but Pavel Minchukov getting in the second round, getting Olin Zellweger, getting Tristan Leneau. It just feels, and maybe this is um, a result of me not knowing the King system that well, but it feels like the King system doesn't have that high quality player from the later rounds that the duck system does have to really propel them into the future. No. Yeah. I would say that's correct. I think, I mean, I know a lot of people probably don't want to hear so much about the Kings, but yeah, yeah, I would, I would definitely say Turcotte, especially just because he went, I think it was like seventh or seventh overall, I think. And then it was Broberg to Edmonton and then Zegers at nine. That's right. Cider went ahead of, that's right. Cider went ahead of, yeah, he was, uh, he was six overall. It was Broberg was the one that was the shocker shocker that came. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, like, like you said, the Ducks, they hit on their top 10 picks. They got Zegers. They got Drysdale back-to-back years. They got McTavish after yeah. that. They got Minshukov this year, um, getting guys like Zellweger. Even getting someone like Isaac Lundestrom, like at the end mm-hmm. of the first round, I think that's somebody that you can add that's pretty solid. Um, the Kings, they don't really have that besides maybe Brant Clark. Uh, I think yeah. a lot of Kings fans have been excited about uh, Francesco mm-hmm. Pinelli. I, I hope that's his first name. But yeah, I it, think so. I think you yeah. got it. That but sounds yeah, right. Yeah, there's um it. Yeah, so there's there's a couple up and coming guys that they have, but their draft picks haven't really hit and I think part of that is also um that they've kind of set up blocks. They Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman were just yeah. talking about that this morning on thirty two thoughts is setting up blocks for your prospects and at some point you kinda of have to let those blocks go. And I think the Kings haven't really done that with some of their especially with their defensive prospects, is they've set up these blocks and they're not really bringing these guys along and I think that's what we want to see something from the Ducks next year with Jackson Lacombe and Drew yeah. Allison and guys like that. Perfect segue. I mean, hadn't planned to talk about this, but that's a perfect segue, honestly, for what the Ducks should do because I I think there's going to be a lot of question marks with this team and whether they should bring in these blocks, right? And whether, I mean, I, I feel like every week I get a question of what defensemen should the Ducks go out and sign? What defensemen should the Ducks go out and trade for? And... I feel like that conversation was really enlightening in the sense that the Ducks really shouldn't go out and do that. They should kind of just let these guys come in and have, like, you want to see guys earn it, sure. But 
I think when you're dealing with the talent of the, the guys that the Ducks are having in this system right now, I think you want to see them in the NHL. And I think you want to see them start to push it. I don't know if Verbeek's going to do that. Verbeek comes from the Steve Eiserman level of kind of letting guys marinate. And so maybe mm-hmm. he does bring in a one or not necessarily a roadblock, but a one or two year stopgap is a better way to put it as compared to a roadblock. And um, do it that way. I, I think going out and getting a winger is not necessarily a stop or necessarily a roadblock because there's not really high-end wingers in the system right now. That, um, But I think the other, kind of backtracking slightly, the other thing, in addition to all those guys in the duck system, they're going to be adding a top three pick this year. And, yeah. and I think all of that being considered, maybe people quibbled about the five years, but I think that's maybe where the undoubtedly is questionable. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you factor in maybe three in the next three to eight years in that span, I think the undoubtedly can come back with the fact of the ducks have a top three pick. I think it becomes definitely that if they get Connor Bedard. Yeah. I think if, yeah, especially because if you get Bedard, that's kind of the one thing that the ducks are missing in their prospect system yeah. right now is like a high end winger. I would say maybe Sasha Pastajov is probably yep. like the one that's got like the highest ceiling for them right yep. now, but especially this looking is- at the blue line, like you got Fowler, you got Drysdale, you got Simon Benoit who's going to be a restricted free agent, and then you got Lacombe, Hellison, and there's kind of like one spot open for the taking. I know Earl Vakanainen is still under contract, but he's dealt with a lot of injuries. Yeah. So maybe you bring, like, I know people have talked a lot about bringing Kevin Shattenkirk back for one year. He's a really good guy in the locker room. Um, he's definitely somebody that the players respect and they look up to. He's also a right-handed shot, and that's something that I think the Ducks maybe need to focus on trying to get from somewhere because they, they had a lot of left-handed guys in the lineup last year. But, um, yeah, eventually bringing guys up like Minchukov and Zellweger, I think at least giving them a shot in training camp like they did last year is uh, something definitely to think about. And a lot of that will come back to the whoever the new head coach is going to be. Yeah. And, and, I mean, so let's do this. How many rookies do you think are on the blue line next year? coming out of training camp. I'm just going to throw you a bunch of questions right now that are coming to my head. I'm just going to put you on the hot spot right now mm-hmm. because I think uh, I mean, yeah, that's you, part of the fun here is just yeah. you throw stuff out. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's wrong. We move on. Yeah. So on the blue line specifically, right? Yeah. On the blue yeah. line. Because I remember you and CJ talked about this last week too. Okay. On the, the over under of uh, how many rookies I think it was. I mean, that that's just to the point of throwing stuff out there because I don't remember <laughs> answering that question <laughs> at all. But I've been doing this for so long that I say things and forget about it. So, you know, yeah. that, that's what happens. But, uh, all right, yeah. G- give me what you think in terms of number of rookies on the blue line. Um, I'll go with two. But okay. I, I don't know which two it's going to be. I think maybe Lacombe and Hellison probably get the front runners just yeah. because they have that very, very small sample size of playing, like, actual NHL games. They're also older. Yeah. So yeah, especially once you when you come out of college, you're generally older than someone who comes out of the yeah. CHL in terms of where you're at. So I think they maybe get kind of the the front run maybe. But I think Minshukov and especially Zellweger because Zellweger looked really good in training camp last he's, year, and he's been killing it in the playoffs so yeah. far. Mm-hmm. So I think I mean, those guys will also push for something too. Yeah. For those that haven't seen it, Zellweger, let me look it up exactly, but he, his like playoff stat line for the playoffs or his playoff stat line for the WHL is just absolutely stupid. Cause I think he had, didn't he have goals in the last two games? Yep. He had, I think they're both on the power play too. Yeah. And so, Ooh, that rings a bell of a question I want to ask you because this is 
conversation that I was having the other day that really kind of got me thinking. So he has 24 points in 10 playoff games <laughs> with nine goals. He, he's almost a goal a game as a defenseman in the playoffs right now for Cam Loop. So here's a question I have for you. Long-term projection. Mm-hmm. When you look at Olin Zellweger's game, right? He's very shot heavy defenseman really looks to find his shot. Do you think that he is long-term the number one guy on the power play? Or do you think he's more so suited for the second power play unit when you factor in kind of the guys that will be on that first power play unit for the Ducks and how they can shoot the puck? Yeah, so the way I think about it, you framed it really well. I think if you're going to have guys like Zegers and McTavish and Terry on that first unit, and the the go-to play this season was a lot of Zegers to McTavish for that one time, and that worked out really well when it did. I think if you're going to have someone that likes to shoot the puck a lot like Zellweger, you probably maybe put him on the second line and you you let him quarterback that on his own and whoever you want to add whether it's Drysdale or Vetrano or whoever else that they eventually bring in I think that's somebody that you can it's kind of what they envisioned I guess John Klingberg was supposed to be this year is mm-hmm. having somebody that can move the puck around yeah and also look for a shot at the same time that kind of didn't work out this season but maybe uh you bring in Zellweger either whether it's next season or mm-hmm. however long down the line maybe that's something that he can kind of make his own yeah and I kind of think maybe a Pavel Manjukov. I, I don't I can't really say I've watched his game that much. I know kind of from looking at some of the numbers, I think that um, that uh, Mitch Brown has put out that he's not a guy that necessarily shoots that much. But when he does shoot, he's typically in a very high danger situation. And so that's mm-hmm. a guy that might long term fit better in that PP one situation that is going to be the distributor for a McTavish, for a Zegers, and maybe finds himself in a dangerous spot to unleash a lethal shot every once in a while. But for the most part, that's where he's going to end up. And then Zellweger is more so the guy on the second unit that is going to be the guy that's going to be the shooter. Because I like when you think about it, no matter what, with with Zellweger being this high-volume shooter, I still don't think that you want him taking shots over guys like Zegers, over McTavish, over potentially Bedard, right? Over Terry. Like You still trust those guys' shots over his. And so I, I just think it's an interesting thing to, to kind of talk about from that perspective. Yeah, and then going back to Minchukov, I watched maybe like nine or ten of his games this season. Okay. But every time he, he takes a shot or he's at the blue line, he walks the blue line, he's at the point, a lot of his shots are very uh, very particular and they're very intentional. And so mm-hmm. every time he – it's not like he's just putting shot, you know, like the whole, th- whole thing, pucks on net, whatever. Yeah. A very every shot that he takes is very intentional, whether it's a shot pass or just a shot on the yeah. power play. And he's always looking for someone's stick or looking for a screen in front. Like he, yeah. he's just his his hockey sense in that aspect. I think is really really good. And that's what you want to you want to see because that's kind of where the the modern day game has gone in the sense of um, point shots have kind of become this not irrelevant thing because they still matter, but you're you're relying upon chaos. Mm-hmm. And so you're not exactly controlling the environment by doing that. You're relying upon just kind of throwing it at the net and seeing if some a randomness can happen. And I think I've said this a little bit, but I remember seeing somewhere that the chance of a point shot being a goal for you is as high as it being a goal against with it potentially hitting a shin and going the other way. And so when it comes to that, if a guy is taking the shot from the point, you want it someone that's really finding the right place to take that shot and looking for a stick. And it's not just someone kind of just throwing it on at the net to throw it at the net. You want a guy working to find the best shot, the best angle, and making that best play as a result of that. And that's what it sounds like Minjukov does. And so that's why I, I think that that's the perfect type of guy for that pow- first power play unit. Mm-hmm. And someone who's really good at that in the NHL right now is Brent Burns. 
he is really, really yeah. good at getting shots through. And I think part of the reason why it didn't really work out um, in San Jose when they brought in Eric Carlson is just because they were trying to use both of those guys in the same They're kind so of similar. situation. Yeah, and they both need the puck to be really successful. So I think that's part of why you kind of want to split up the duties in terms of uh, who's handling the puck and who's shooting it and yeah. whatnot. Oh man, I guess uh, Timo Meyer has been uh, knocked out by a Jacob a Jacob Truba hit. Mm. Does not look good, and everyone knows how I feel about Jacob Truba, so I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, was there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we start getting into questions? Um, not really, just because we're we're still early into the off season. I mean, playoffs are still in full swing. I think um, if people want to ask about like free agency and stuff, we can touch on that. But I think there's still a lot that yep. um, can potentially happen just because we haven't even hit July yet and the draft hasn't happened yet either. So Yep, yep. It's going to be a fascinating offseason. Um, ooh, I'll say this uh, before question. Sorry, things keep popping into my head. <laughs> you know this by now from listening to this. Stuff just comes in and out. There was. Did you catch this on 32 Thoughts today that Elliot Friedman mentioned that Marco Rossi might be available? Oh, from Minnesota. Yeah. I he mentioned Addison and I was he said Mark Russo uh Mark Russo I think that's his first name um yeah. the guy that's been that covers the wild for the athletic had mentioned Kalen Addison and Marco Rossi might be available and I found the Addison stuff I haven't found the Rossi stuff in, in Mark Russo's reporting but if that does end up being true that would be a fascinating player to go out and get that I mean from looking at it, there was some, uh, not hesitancy. I, I think the wild aren't necessarily happy with how his game has developed so far, but if that's a buy low option, I think that's a perfect, a, like fantastic person to get. Maybe he moves to the wing and, and that's where he fits on the Stucks team. But, uh, Michael Russo, um, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Tussle. I was close with Mike. Um, <laughs> but, um, that could be a perfect compliment to this team and fits the age range, right? Being the same draft as Drysdale. And, and so that's, I think exactly the type of player that you maybe want to try to get and try to buy from another team, especially if they're, they're almost like a damaged good trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not going to claim that I'm some expert on Marco Rossi. I mean, I, I know a little bit about him. I know he's yeah. a very skilled player. Um, I know he did have a lot of complications coming back from his bout with COVID. So yep. I know that impacted his ability to come back and, have a very consistent season. Um, the stuff with Cal and Addison, I know, has been going on for a while. I mean, they brought in John Klingberg at the trade deadline, and then they also signed Brock Faber right after that, yep. and Faber has been a really, really great addition for them. He had a great playoff performance. So I think um, even with Matt Dumba, he's probably on the way out this offseason, but there's still too many. I mean, there's like you know, there's only six spots on the blue line, um, so I think Addison is somebody who's kind of been pushed out. I'm not sure if I would... I just hypothetically if like the Ducks were to go after him. I don't know if that's the kind of addition they want to add because a lot of this has been made about his even strength play and how he's kind of just like a power play merchant, if you will. Mm-hmm. And if he's not producing on the power play, he's kind of like a pylon. Yeah. If, if, I'm, if I'm going to put well, it like and, that way. Yeah. And I also think like Kayla Addison, Kayla, or we t- sorry, I spaced out for a split, split second. We, we're talking about Addison, right? Or Dumba? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, Addison. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to throw you under the bus and, and talk about the wrong guy. Um, but Kalen Addison, um, I, I think the issue there with getting someone like that is that the Ducks already have this bevy of depth on the blue line. And while not everyone's going to necessarily pan out from that blue, uh, from that blue line prospect system, 
I don't think we talked about roadblocks, right? I don't think you want to really go out and trade for a guy that kind of is a roadblock at the end of the day for that. And I think maybe you sign a stopgap, but not a roadblock, which Addison, I think, would end up becoming. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, you have that. In Jackson Lacombe, you already have a player like that. So I I don't necessarily see it kind of working out from that perspective. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So let's get to a couple of questions, then we'll get to an ad read. First one comes from Felix and... He so we're going to the Patreon Discord first. Go to patreon.com slash crash spawn to join us on the Discord. Um but Felix asks this question for Derek. What is the cutoff line for North and South Orange County? North and South Orange County. You know, I'm I'm not gonna lie, I barely know anything about Orange County as a whole. Fair. So I I think I'll delegate this to you. Oh, well it's been del <laughs> it's been asked to you because this is a very controversial topic between me and Felix. Really? And one that's been a controversial topic on this podcast for a good year and a half now, I would mm. say. So my claim is that the cutoff line starts um at Irvine, basically. Okay. Parts of Newport are even in North County. The the key element in the difference between the two of them is the landscape. And I can say this now as someone who's living in South Orange County, there's way more landscape, way more hills, way more all of that when you get to South Orange County. And that kind of happens when you get to Irvine. Felix's claim is that it should be the 55 and Newport is definitely South County. Oh, okay. Interesting. So Um, I think there are parts of Newport that are South County. I think like the Irvine Spectrum is South or not. Yeah. uh, Irvine. Sorry. uh, Fashion Island is South County. Mm-hmm. But I think things like the peninsula are North County. Hmm. I mean, I yeah, I don't really have an opinion on it because my geography in terms of fair, Orange fair. County is just. I, I, I will get I will give you that out um, <laughs> and we'll go from there. But this has probably ignited a new debate in our Twitch and YouTube chat. So there it is. Always fun for that. Lou hates it. Um <laughs> Hopako said, uh, out of all the guys that the Ducks have signed to ELCs, early predictions on who is opening day roster of Ducks goals. Okay, this is a big one. So I'll just list off names that who are there. And how about you just say Ducks or goals? Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll do it that way. And I'll say if I agree or not. So let me get to the Ducks cap friendly page. And then we'll start naming guys that and say Ducks or goals. So... Uh, where am I going on cap friendly? Uh, Nathan Gaucher. Goals. Okay. Uh, uh, Sasha Pastorjov. Goals. Okay. Throwing you some softballs to start. Braden Tracy. Goals. Jacob Perot. Goals. Pavel Regenda. Uh, let's go, you know, let's go Ducks. Well, well, he makes the opening roster like last year. Yep. Uh, Pavel Minchukov. I'm going to go goals right now. Okay. Drew Hellison. Uh, let's go Ducks. Olin Zellweger. Uh, I'll go Ducks for this one. Tyson Hines. Uh, I'll go goals, but I could see him having a really good training camp. Okay. Jackson Lacombe. Ducks. And I think that's it. Is there anyone else that you could think of that we may have missed or that I may have missed in that group? Um, on an ELC, I... T- that like are in question because Mason McTavish is on the Ducks. Oh, nah, Nikita, yeah, yeah. let's do Nikita Nestorenko. Nestorenko, I think. Well, okay, if we're gonna do Nestorenko over Regenda, I think I'd give the edge to Nestorenko because I think okay. he looked really good. Um, I don't know what kind of went on with Regenda once he got sent back down. He didn't get another call up after that, um, and then he had a really nasty uh, concussion to end out the season. Mm-hmm. So hopefully he's able to come back from that this summer. 
but I think I'll give the edge to Nestorenko. Matt in our YouTube chat says uh, Bedard. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think he might be goals. I don't know. Yeah, we'll he, not not eligible to be on the goals, but still will find a way onto the yeah. goals. Yeah, he'll pull Mason McTavish and play like three games for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so let's uh, get to a word from our sponsor. Playoffs? Are you talking about playoffs? That's right. The playoffs are here, and your friends at Manscaped are here too. And they're making sure your balls are as kissable as the Stanley Cup. Whether you're an NBA or NHL guy, you'll want to give your Nuggets the best clippers to rid rid them of pubes and help them see the summer sun. Don't let your little devils go wild. Use the Lawnmower 4.0 and get your boys as smooth as jazz. You can have the balls of kings by going to manscaped.com and using code CTP for 20% off plus free shipping. Manscaped is the champion of men's grooming. You know why they call their staple product the Performance Package 4.0? Because it's the best way to get your body ready for elite playoff level performance. This full package is stacked with the best of the best. It all starts with the Lawnmower 4.0. These Lawnmower 4.0s are the greatest pube warriors. They make body hair removal as easy as a Steph Curry three-pointer. The Lawnmower 4.0 doesn't only make you easy on the eyes, but it's easy on your skin with its skin-safe technology that reduces your playoff nicks and cuts. Manscaped has been working hard and brewing up the new and improved Weed Whacker 2.0 with a better shape and motor there's no question the weed whacker 2.0 for nose and ear hair is the most impl- improved player of the year they cap the performance package off with the crop preserver ball deodorant and crop reviver ball toner to keep you fresh even though this uh even through the sweetest game sevens um but that's not all manscaped has two free throw-ins a travel bag to hold all your good goods and a pair of anti-chafe boxers perfect for watching or playing sports Plus, for all you playoff beard bros out there, Manscaped now has a beard or has beard products with their Beard Hedger Pro Kit. This kit has the balm and balm shampoo, conditioner, and oils that you need to keep presentable and comfortable through the push and the trimmer you need when it's finally time for a cut. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code CTP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code CTP at manscaped.com. Pick a winner, hit the playoff push, and use Manscaped to shave that bush. And there it is. Ooh. All right. Ooh, made it through that without too many screw-ups this time. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Ducks Dragon, or, oh, sorry. Uh, Felix asks, question for Derek, who was the best interview out of the Ducks players this season? See, I actually thought about this. Um, was it yesterday or earlier today? Okay. I was thinking I was maybe going to get this. Um. The funny thing is I actually haven't talked to every single guy on the Ducks, um, so I can't really give like an ult- ultimate answer. But yeah. out of the guys I've talked to, um, I think Ryan Strom is a great interview. He always has a lot to say, even when it's a super basic question. I think he always has a lot to talk about. And that just comes from being someone that played for the New York Rangers and having to face the, the big market media for so long. Um, and then also just Trevor Zegers. I mean... Just asking him a simple question like, oh, did you know, like, you hold your coffee cup a weird way? And him being able to give, like, a really, um, like, just a really great answer to something like that, I think is really cool. That's right. You are the reason that he <laughs> held the coffee cup in so many different ways after that for those pictures. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, got... I mean, that was just, that was pretty crazy to see. Yeah. Got to take, I mean, that, that shows you're asking the right questions and having a good time while doing it and building that rapport. 
Um, all right. Uh, Ducks Jackanet said, if the Winnipeg Winnipeg Jets do indeed blow it up this summer and enter a rebuild, or even at the next deadline, are there any current roster players of theirs that are worth exploring? I mean, there certainly are. It's just a matter if the Ducks are going to give up those assets. Because, I yeah. mean, guys like Nikolai Ehlers, Kyle Connor, those are definitely elite tier wingers that the Ducks are really missing right now. Um, even someone like Josh Morrissey, I know like the Ducks have a ton of left-handed defensemen, but like Josh Morrissey had such a good season this past year. Um, I think adding somebody like that to the Ducks blue line would be really good, but I don't think any of those guys are necessarily reachable. Maybe somebody like Logan Stanley. I mean, I know he requested a trade this past summer, but even somebody like that, I don't know if that's really worth going out and getting somebody like that either. Yeah, and I, and I think the tough part is the age get or the age range that you want to look for. Mm-hmm. And so I, I know obviously you'll want to look at a Kyle Connor. I, I think that, but it would, it would take an arm and a leg to get him. And yeah. then on top of that, he's 26 currently, I believe he's probably going to be 27. Uh, let's see when his birthday is in December, he's going to be 27. So by the time the ducks are fully contending, he'll almost be 30. So just from a sequencing perspective, it may not be the best fit. And I think that's the tough part with any of these teams that have these elite level talent. Most of the time, the sequencing might not work perfectly. I think for elite level talent, you can kind of get around that and and sell yourself on it. I think that's why if Austin Matthews, for instance, hits UFA status and the Ducks have a chance, you go for it. Because mm-hmm. even though he, it, you're going to be paying him into his 30s, for elite level talent, I think it ends up being being worth it at the end of the day. But in that situation also, you're going to be not giving up assets for it. Whereas this, you would be that those assets could help you also in the future and be cheap help. Um, yeah. All right. Dejan asks for both of us, who's winning the cup? I'll let you go first. Cool. Well, I, I mean, I'll just admit I picked Boston to win in my bracket. So <laughs> that's obviously not happening. I had the Panthers beating him. That's, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's gutsy, but I it mean, is. you gotta, you gotta give people credit for choosing it when they did. Yep. But, yep. Um, I don't know. It's it's really tough for me because just now I just kind of want to see a really good playoff series. Yeah. Um, but for the sake of the question, uh, let's go. Let's go Toronto. I think Toronto's got it in them, especially because they don't have to play Boston now, and I yeah. think that's what a lot of people were worried about. Um, I think maybe New Jersey is. I think they're winning right now. So. Yep, they're up three um, nothing right now. Yeah. So if New Jersey can beat, I think New Jersey has a good shot against Carolina. And so you get past that. It's for me. I'm between three teams. I'm between the Oilers, the Leafs, and the Devils. In my bracket, mm-hmm. I picked the Leafs. I think to win it. And I mean, I didn't love their first round series against Tampa. I don't think they played that well, but I think they made it through. Mm-hmm. And that's all. At the end of the day, that's all that matters, right? And you can yep. find your game later and, and eventually kind of build upon that win to to play better. I think the Devils play in such an interesting fashion that can cause teams fits though. And the fact that they've been able to do this without Timo Meyer really going and now granted he's hurt. So who knows if he's even going to be playing in the future with that, that hit from Truba today. Um, you know what? I'm going to go back. My pick in my bracket was the Leafs. I'm changing my opinion to the devils. I'm going okay. the devils winning it all. See, and the thing is, too, not only Meyer, but uh, Jesper Bratt hasn't really been cooking either. Exactly. So they've been able to do that. And then also the switch to Akira Schmid from Vitek Vanacek, yep. I think, has really helped them a lot, too. Yeah, he's been nails in the playoffs. Uh, mm-hmm. Hardcore Luchador saying he's back on the bench. So maybe Meyer will be good. And hopefully for his own sake and the devil's sake. 
Um, all right. Uh, Felix has a question for me. Does he get no-show socks? Sure. Go for it, Felix. Although, I'm not a big fan of no-show socks. I, I find that they fall off my the back of my heels all the time. So, it's mm. very frustrating. I just go no socks. I just Oh, interesting. The, I just <laughs> deal with the smell. I suck it up. Oh, well. Well, I, I guess I don't suck it up. My wife has to. So, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll go that way. Um, <laughs> Mighty for Nothing said, The Maple Leafs won a playoff series while Boston, Colorado lost. Should we be worried about, a hell, or about hell freezing over? Does this alternate, alternate universe of chaos help or hurt the Ducks' lottery chances? it doesn't well, I mean, do anything if, it's just wild though yeah i think if, it, if it's anything for chaos i think oh i don't know because it's the ducks and then the blackhawks and the blue jackets i think i mean i feel like if if people are like oh well chicago's gonna obviously get the first pick i think if you want chaos it's probably gonna be somebody like san jose who wins and they just hop all the way up to number one then. yeah so i don't think i don't know We'll, we'll see in a week whether yeah. that yeah yeah exactly <laughs> at, at this point just just let it happen please just, yeah. just put us out of our misery mm-hmm. um shake and wing said jake if you had a walk-up song for baseball what would it be oh i saw this earlier and i had a thought about it and now i can't remember but it i swear it, it like changes like depending on the mood i am or mood i'm in or what i've been listening to lately i feel like lately i've been like on a really big pop punk kick um a lot of kind of emo type music i don't know why um and and so i would probably go to go with a day to remember um and the downfall downfall of us all i'll go with that either that or i'll just give a shout out to you derek for putting together that uh the i want to dance with somebody um uh video that was fantastic and exactly what the ducks need to do next year i tweeted it out it was hilarious derek put i want to dance with somebody after the ducks uh was it the Zegers OT winner versus the Leafs? Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, question two from Shaken Wings. Best snack to get at a Ducks game? Hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll admit, I'm not usually a big going to the arena and getting food because, one, it's overpriced. <laughs> yep. And, two, it's usually not that great. Yep. Um, I'd go with just, like, peanut M&M, something that you know is going to be solid. Mm-hmm. I yeah. feel like you got to go with like a prepackaged thing, not run the risk. Yeah, I think one time I got, I think, waffle fries from one of the, the kiosks and it was just kind of uh, okay. Yeah, they're, f- I mean, it's, it's not horrible food. Yeah. It's just, you're not getting what you're paying for. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Ken Path, man, we got a lot of questions to go through. So here we go. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm ready. Yeah, Ken Path, who said, question if no win, the Ducks get Bedard. Do you think it's still a good idea to take on bad contracts for picks? I know it shouldn't change the plan, but is cap space something that the Ducks should be weaponizing, knowing that Bedard probably shaves a year or two off the rebuild? Well, I think I, th- I think you have to consider that the Ducks are going to have to re-sign Zegris and Drysdale mm-hmm. and Terry this offseason. Yep. And so they're not going to be right at the floor like they were last year where they're having to sign Klingberg to $7 million for a year. I think, um, based off of what I was looking at, maybe their projections are probably be around like 70 million and so that gives you i think the cap is supposed to go up to like 83.5 something like that so you have like 13.5 million left in cap space and that's before you bring in guys to maybe fill out the blue line or even like the bottom six maybe you bring back shattenkirk and you bring him back on like one or two million deal um and then there's also guys like max comtois and simon benoit you have to think about what you're going to do with them 
Um, obviously, they won't cost that much. And then Lucas Dostal, um, he'll probably get a small bridge deal, something like that too. Um, but then after that, I, I think they're, they should be fine in terms of having that wiggle room. Um, you can always take on maybe another bad contract if you really want to. It just depends on what teams are going to do. Or maybe you even go out and you trade for Jasper Bratt like yeah. you've been harping for. Yep, just or because, Alex DeBrincat, either yeah, one. Because teams are cap-strapped and um, weaponizing your cap space like Arizona has done is a really good job yeah. in getting a really good asset in return as well. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of like how the the, the Kraken got Jesper Bo- Uh, Wait, nope. Uh, what's his first name? Oliver I'm now Bjorkstrand. Sp- all of your Bjorks, Bjorkstrand. I get all the B- BJ, the BJOs <laughs> put together and mixed in my own head. Oliver Bjorkstrand for what they ended up paying for him last summer. Um, to answer the question from from my perspective, I think it's kind of the exact opposite. I I don't. I think if you get Bedard, you you don't want to take on bad contracts for picks then, because yeah. those bad con you're, you're getting those picks for those future assets to build up and. and get that whereas if you get Bedard and it's shaving a year or two off your rebuild that means that you kind of want more so younger players for the now because you're going to be better sooner you don't want to have those draft picks that are going to take longer because if you're going to take on a bad contract for a 2024 first it's most likely going to be a late 2024 first which is going to take three to four years to probably make the NHL and so from that perspective, it, I think it's the exact opposite of what they should be doing. Uh, they should be utilizing that cap space to find the right 21 to 23-year-old player to come in, maybe 24, something in that range to really fit this team. So like a Jesper Bat, like a Alex DeBrinkett, something in that range. Um, or finding, I mean, if it's a guy on a cheaper deal, or not a cheaper deal, but if it, it's a guy on a, a shorter-term deal, and let's say, for instance, the, the Wild are cap-strapped. And you take on one of their bad deals and you get Marco Rossi as a result. That's like a way to do it, where mm-hmm. you're kind of getting the best of both worlds. You're weaponizing your cap space and you're getting a really good player. Yeah, I, I, I seem to remember the Vegas Golden Knights doing that to the Ducks and getting Shea Theodore out of yep. that. <laughs> yep, yep, they did. Uh, Matt brings up in our YouTube chat, picks can be used for currency for young players too. That's a good point. And so that could always be flipped, and so maybe that's a way to go. I, I just think you want that cap flexibility, though. I, no, I think yeah, that's definitely. the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, the Puff said, what would a hypothetical trade between the Ducks and King and the Kings be for John Gibson? For John Gibson? See, a oh. lot of people threw that around last year when there was rumors that he was um, looking for a trade or whatever. Those rumors have not gone away. They've been intensified. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to say because... Um, I think if you trade Gibson not only to like inside the conference still, but to a division rival, you certainly want to make sure it benefits you, right? And um, you definitely want a goaltender back. I feel like if you're not going to go out and get somebody from free agency or wherever, and I don't think the Kings really have kind of that replacement no. for Gibson, or at least like a stopgap, if you will, because they have Phoenix Copley. And I don't think they would int- include him in a trade for Gibson. They have Cal Peterson, which kind of helps offset the salaries, but he was pretty awful last season. I don't think anybody wants that contract. Well, let me throw this at you then. Does that make the deal better for the Ducks because they could potentially get more back? I think so. Well, it just depends on where the Kings are at in their cap situation because mm-hmm. if they're not going to bring back Abrakov 
and they're not going to bring out Quark Vassal. That opens up a little bit of cap space, but then in comes Gibson's cap hit at 6.4 yeah. million, and that kind of takes up a lot of it too. I think, it, like hypothetically, if they were to get a deal done, I think you have to include one of probably like Sean Dersey or Jordan Spence because those are young right-handed defensemen that mm -hmm. you kind of want to help um, add to the blue line, even though you do have those other guys like the Wigger and Minchukov, et cetera. Well, it allows you to, to make those guys more expendable also and yeah. trade for a winger, whether it is in like a, whether it's in a, a Debrinkat trade or in a, um, in a Jesper Bratt trade, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, I, I, I don't know like the, the draft pick situation for Los Angeles. I don't know how, how many draft picks they have or how many they're willing to give up for Gibson. They but. don't have their first this year. They have their 2024 first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they get don't the have... first for Gavrikov and Corpusalo. Yeah. And then they they don't have they have the Penguins third this year, but not their own and no seventh this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the the framework for for this it would depend a lot on how much the ducks are willing to retain for three more years of his deal yeah and then just kind of what pat Verbeek would be looking for in terms of getting stuff from mm -hmm. a division rival for that's and it's not just a it's not just a division rival also it, it's yeah. <laughs> it's the local rival like if this comes back to bite you you wear this for a long time no yeah definitely it, it's a tough deal i i don't think that it could happen for that exact reason i think that in order for it to happen i don't think the ducks would be retaining i think that they would have to take cal peterson back though to make mm -hmm. it happen to try to offset some of the money for some of the years um and then that you would have to get something back that would be a high quality prospect a high quality young player preferably a forward or a winger whether that is maybe a kalian in that i mean i don't know if that's the kings right, would be too. willing to 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 give him up in that trade but maybe that that's what has to happen and put him in that situation where you put kaliev with azegris and it gives you a pure shooter to go with your guys mm -hmm. yeah it would no, have to be i think something like that yeah, that's a guy just completely crossed my mind because he, he didn't even play like the last few games yeah. of the series is Arthur Kaliev. Like that's a guy that had chemistry with Trevor Zegers in World Juniors. So yeah. you bring in a guy like that and put him on his wing. And I guess hypothetically, if you got Connor Bedard and say like you play those three guys together, like that's a really, really high level line right there that can well, give you a even, lot of scoring. And even from the perspective of people might question the um... – People might question the defensive work rate of a guy like an Arthur Kaliev, but Zegris, while having his warts defensively, is not as bad as I think everyone makes him out to be. And Connor Bedard is a very good uh, two-way center also. Like, he's no slouch in his own zone, even though he's amazing offensively. And so I think that's a line that can really push the play. And if you kind of put them with guys that can really get the puck back, puck back and get it out in transition, that's a line that would be absolutely lethal. Mm -hmm, definitely. All right, so this one's for me specifically. Uh, Connor asks, why does Jake yell at me? <sighs> Connor, it's because in Discord you entered in at the exact wrong time, and I need to tell you not now. It's just that simple. <sighs> um, all right, Lactic said, Derek, is there anything you could highlight from your times watching practice that would inform some of the roster decisions made by Dallas Akins? Um, well, I know a lot of people had issues with, like, Comtois jumping back on defense during practices and things like that. Um, I don't think there was ever a point where there was like a rift or anything mm -hmm. with anybody, at least publicly, just inside mm -hmm. the room. Um, like these are these guys. At the end of the day, these guys are professional athletes. They work hard. You can see it. I mean, 
it's it might be hard to see it sometimes just based off the results that we saw this season but these these guys all work hard they play for each other it's a really great locker room like everybody looks up to each other and uh, is able to take something from each other in there um, I think it's just a matter of maybe they just underperformed a lot and I guess a lot of that has to go back to Dallas Aikens like I know we've talked a lot about this a lot before as he's a really great uh, people person mm-hmm. he's really good with the players um, but maybe it was just a matter of simply not motivating them enough to to play harder or just the way that they were yeah the way they were managed is just maybe not what they needed mm-hmm. because this team is certainly talented enough to yeah. finish better than the worst <laughs> team worse than the league in the entire league so um, yeah. I don't think there is anything that I personally noticed I like at the end of the day there's only so much you can take away from practices yeah. too so yeah and he added from practice structure per- perspective did you notice any changes throughout the course of the year uh course of the year i mean you kind of said it right it's hard to really know because it's just practice drills a lot of times right they're not always going to be working on structure and things like that yeah most of the time it's just kind of oh these guys are skating with each other and that's maybe what they're going to do. And then um, usually when they roll out special teams, it's pretty much the same thing. Like what you see on the ice is what you get. And then maybe they change up the penalty killing a little bit. And then those stallers, stolers, whoever the backup is, will get a lot more time during practice because Gibson comes off pretty early. Okay. And then uh, Lactic also asked me, uh, and you're going to just love being able to rub this one in. What are your thoughts on the Tottenham manager search? Will we ever get to watch attacking football again? Uh, for those that don't know, Derek is an Arsenal fan. Um, and so it hasn't been fun as a Tottenham fan. Uh, I, I, uh, my thoughts on the Tottenham manager, manager search, I would absolutely love if Nagelsmann comes in. I think that that would be a fantastic young hire that could be, I mean, they need to just give him time and cannot be short on the trigger if things don't go well the next couple years they still need to just give him time let him bring in his guys let him get his type of footballers in there and play the attacking style of football that he was kind of known for at various points in time and so i think that's the key thing is getting tottenham back to their roots kind of getting away from kind of what's happened over the last couple years going from Mourinho to uh nuno to to conte and just being this team that ends up sitting back and it's beyond frustrating so there's that. Uh, but congratulations on finishing above us. Woo! <laughs> uh, LewisX209 said, Well, that was an exciting first round. Nobody saw the Bruins losing in that fashion. The Leafs finally advanced to the second round, and the Kings are booking tea times at Pebble Beach. My question is, why is Pepper Jack, Pepper Jack cheese the worst cheese? Oh, man. The worst cheese? It's not the worst cheese. It's, it's a good not the cheese. Worst cheese. I, it's a good cheese. No, I personally prefer Pepper Jack among yeah. like a lot of different cheeses. Thank you. Thank you. I, it, I it, think it's great. I, I would say maybe like blue cheese is probably the worst. Oh, why? Blue or, to, why? Blue or like why? goat goat cheeses. Oh, they're both good. They, they, they have a time and place. It's hard for them to be in everything. Yeah. I think Pepper Jack is the best sandwich cheese. Yes, that I would have definitely 100% agree with that. Yeah, like I love a good cheddar, but I think pepper jack works better in a sandwich. Yeah, unless you're not like a fan of like spice, which is understandable, then okay, yeah. But yeah, pepper jack in a sandwich or even like a grilled cheese is really good. Uh, oh, yeah. Great, great shout. Uh, Malarkey said, question for Derek. Were there any prospects outside of the big names that has that have stood out to you? Um... It's hard to say because I think at some point for me, it kind of turned into everybody 
is a big name because you hear some of the same yeah. players a lot. So we, we heard a lot about Sasha Pastorov, Tristan Leno, uh, Pavel Minshukov, Olin Zellweger. I think even Tyson Hines got a lot of uh, light too just because mm-hmm. he was on the World Juniors team for Canada this year. Um, in terms of kind of like the lesser-known guys, well, even adding Nathan Gauthier into that is yeah. uh, just because he was on the World Juniors team as well. Um, maybe somebody like Ian Moore at Harvard. Yeah. He, he had a really big role this year. Um, he played on the second defensive pairing, and he got a couple power play opportunities with the second unit. I think that's a guy who had a really good season. Um, that's a good shout. Ian Moore is a guy that I feel like every time like I hear something about him, it's always just fantastic like showering of praise for the player that he's ended up being able to become and someone that kind of would really fit well within the duck system and someone that's not really talked about right when you when you talk about the ducks defense because i think obviously you talk about zellweger minchukov leno lacombe hellison and Hines gets thrown in there warren gets thrown in there but ian moore doesn't really get thrown in there maybe it becomes a henry thrun situation where he has the potential to leave which is out there and it is something that could happen after next season. Um, but he's someone that's a little bit different within the system, I think. I think he's a little bit different. Correct me if I'm wrong. You've watched more of him. But a little bit different than Tyson Hines or Noah Warren. And brings a little bit of a different element than those guys. Oh, no. I would, I would say he's the complete opposite. Is, yeah. um, he's, he's a little bit more offensive-minded. I think he still has yep. a little uh, work to do on the defensive end. But he's certainly not a shrinking flower by any means. Yeah. He can he can throw his body around. He's I, I want to say like 6'2". So yeah. he's got a little bit of size on him. He's kind um, of the the bigger puck mover, right? A guy yes. almost like in the Josh Manson mold, right? Where Manson was physical and really good in his own zone, but when he's at his best, he's really good at moving the puck. And so maybe more offensive than that, but kind of in that mold at times. Yeah, I would say probably somebody like kind of like Manson. Not quite as big, obviously, but yeah. he has a higher offensive ceiling than him. Yeah. Um, somebody else, too, I would say that um, had a really good season was Kali Klang in Roma mm-hmm. for in Sweden. Uh, he came over to San Diego for the last couple of games, and he played pretty well. Um, also, another guy is Gage Alexander, who came up to San Diego, I think, a little bit earlier than we anticipated when Dostal came up. Mm-hmm. So having Klang and Alexander in net for San Diego next year, I think that will be a really good um, experience as the goals kind of look toward the Matt McElvain era. Yeah, a name that just popped in my head, speaking of goalies, I'm trying to look him up. Is was it Budietz? Didn't he? Oh have yeah, Vyacheslav Budietz. He played for. I know he went on loan to Sochi. Yeah. Um, but he actually, I think he played for Chelbinski. I want to say, in the VHL. But his okay. numbers were were very good. I think their season ended pretty early because they didn't make the playoffs. But yeah, Vyacheslav Budietz, uh, six round pick, 2022 yep. last year. Yeah, he yep. had a pretty solid season. Yeah, and then. <laughs> Uh, another bit from this podcast. Our, our a good friend of the show, Green Bastard, said his his favorite player, just so you know, ever in the Ducks for whatever reason, mainly because of his name is Jack Kopaka. And so, <laughs> when Jack Kopaka returns to the Ducks, could you see him as a potential captain for the team? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just gonna pass on that one. <laughs> uh, sure, sure, sure. GB, when he returns, when when the the chosen one has come back, he will be the captain. I'll I'll give him that. Um, uh, all right. Appa AG said, question for Derek. Who is Derek the person? As a person? Um, well, um, you can see in the back, or this way, because it's mute. But yeah. uh, I like K-pop, Korean pop music. Um, I don't really listen to a lot of Western music anymore. Uh, it's mostly, like, K-pop. 
Uh, so I like a lot of that. Um, just sports in general. That was kind of what I grew up following. I watched mm -hmm. a lot of Dodger baseball because my dad was a Dodgers fan. Um, so I went to a couple of games when I was growing up watching a lot on TV. So I basically lived off of Vin Scully for like my entire childhood. Not too shabby. Not a bad yeah. person to live off of. Yeah. And then uh, my mom is a big Lakers fan for the longest time. Okay. She kind of she kind of stopped watching because she said it stressed her out. Um <laughs> But yeah, that was a lot of what I grew up watching is the Lakers and the Dodgers. Um, and then when I moved to, I went to college in Colorado Springs. Okay. Uh, so I was up in Denver a lot and I got to watch a lot of Nuggets games. And that was when they started kind of going up on the rise and getting back to the playoffs. And that's hopefully something that uh, we kind of want to see here in Anaheim with the Ducks. But mm -hmm. just being able to see the Nuggets rise from kind of like a middling 500 team to being this playoff contender and potentially an NBA Finals contender is uh, really promising to see. Yeah. Uh, and then you have the Rockies, which are kind of like the angels of the Midwest, oh. I guess. <laughs> Don't uh, The angels are just always so depressing. It, it hurts. I, I always get my hopes up at the start of the year, and I still have them up somewhat, but they, they've definitely tempered as this season's gone on. I'm just I'm waiting for the worst in Otani to no longer be an angel, and it's going to hurt my soul. Yeah, I mean, like you have two of the best players in the league, and you can't even make the playoffs as a wild card. See, that's it's just really disappointing. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. All... <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I got no uh, I got nothing else to say about it. Um, like Vlad Guerrero was one of my like favorite players growing okay. up. Okay, because like twenty seven is my favorite. Oh, he was so fun. It. Yeah, that's why I have it in my handle. So seeing him wearing twenty seven, that was something that really uh, kind of like drew me to him. And yeah. just his unique batting stance, too, and just his free-swing nature. I mean, how many guys can say they hit a home run on a bouncing pitch? Bouncing ball. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah. And then so much uh, Derek Jeter is also one of my favorite players of all time. Okay. Like, I mean, having a player that has the same name as you, I feel like that's yeah. always pretty cool. So I wore. Definitely I helps. played Little League growing up, wore number two. Okay. Wanted to play shortstop just like Derek Jeter. Nice. Um what else? I mean, I, I played sports growing up, played AYSO, played, like, youth league basketball. Okay. Like, sports has just always been something that's kind of been, like, mm -hmm. near and dear to my heart. And so being able to kind of turn that into a job opportunity is, you know, it's like dreams come true, essentially. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, let me ask you this, kind of following up on that. How would you get into hockey? Because you've mentioned baseball, you've mentioned basketball, you've mentioned everything. How would you get into hockey? So I have a friend that I... Um, in high school, my freshman year, I met someone, and he played hockey growing up. So he played for, like, the Junior Kings, uh, the California okay. Wave. And he kind of introduced me to it a little bit because I, I kind of known hockey a little bit growing mm -hmm. up because my uncle is a Kings fan, and he, he went to a lot of Kings games when I was growing up. So I kind okay. of had the idea of hockey, but I'd never really uh, kind of sat down and watched some of mm -hmm. it. So when I met my friend, um, he kind of just started showing me about hockey a little bit, and then we would go out and play roller hockey or street hockey nice. like after school and so that's kind of what drew me to the ducks because he was a ducks fan okay and then his friend that he played hockey with that was also a ducks fan so i would go to games with them and i was just kind of it started getting the ball rolling for me now i just want to age myself what year would that have been that you would have that you first remember going to games well the funny thing is the first time i remember going to a game is like 2006 but i guess i my parents took me to a duck game during the cup year Okay. In 2003. But yeah, the earliest I remember going to a game was 2000. I think it was 2007, 2008. Because that okay. was um, whatever year they first brought in Jonas Hiller was the year that I went to a game. 
Yeah, that was 0708. Was yeah. So uh, yeah. Yep. End so that, that was the very very first hockey game I remember going to. Yeah. Uh, nice. Yeah. That. So you so you don't have any memories then really too much of the or like watching any of the 07 Cup run. No, not I don't. So even that think that's I the fascinating. That was kind of where I was going with it. Yeah, I'd is that that nothing. that's the fascinating part to me that kind of as you were saying, I was starting to kind of go in my head. I was like, I wonder if it was around then because it's like that's like I, I find that Stanley Cup runs these big pushes are when they, there are a lot of people that are brought in. So I was wondering if that's where you were going to go with it. That well, it came around then or things like that, and that popped in because for me that because you're younger than me, but the 07 Cup run was my sophomore year of high school. And I can remember that everyone was watching them then. And it's mm-hmm. just like that brought so many people in. And so it's just interesting for that. And I can remember same thing with like the angels in O2. It's just like all these things kind of push people in. And so that that's interesting, but you are younger. So there's probably that aspect of it, of <laughs> kind of not really remembering that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Winterborne said, is there a concern that some of our best offensive talent is coming in the form of defensemen, i.e. Zellweger, Minchukov, and then we don't have a lot of promise or depth and wingers in the Ducks prospect pool? I think it is a little bit, but at the end of the day, you can always go out and get those kinds of guys with the assets mm-hmm. that you have. And I think that kind of plays into it. I know we talked about a little bit about that earlier is if you have an abundance of defensemen and yeah. high-end talent there, then you can turn that into potentially high-end talent on your forward lines. So I think um, I don't think that's something to really be worried about, especially because the Ducks aren't in this position where they need to contend right now so they can kind of afford to wait on guys like, I mean, they've been waiting on guys like Perot and Tracy and it hasn't really panned out, but waiting yeah. on guys like Passajov and Gauthier and guys like that. Well, I also think the hope is, I mean, I think the winger first off is the easiest player to find. Mm-hmm. And if you have elite level centers, elite level centers can really elevate average wingers to become elite wingers. I mean, look at the Penguins, right? And, yep, and how definitely. Sidney Crosby has been able to elevate players around him. Evgeny Malkin has been able to elevate talent around him. And so typically finding that center and finding that defenseman are two of the, the harder things to do. And the Ducks have the abundance of those. And so they are in really good shape. And I would say it's kind of the opposite of being um, a concern. I would say it's a really big plus for this team that that is where it's coming from. Because you have that play-driving uh, defenseman that is able to move the puck out and get the puck to a center and is able to set up a even a above, just above-average winger, whether it is a pro or Tracy becoming that. And they're not these elite-level talent, but they can really kind of pick goals off these elite-level centers. That That's, I think, what this team has coming for it. Yeah, I mean, we saw even during the years that the Ducks were a perennial playoff contenders, they had Getzoff and Perry. And then that left wing was kind of a revolving door of players. We saw like David Perron or even Jamie McGinn. And then we had Pat Maroon mm-hmm. for a little bit yep. kind of slot in there. And then they kind of tried Nick Ritchie. They tried Max Comtaw and Patrick Eves, especially when he went up there was really yeah. good with them. So I think, yeah. yeah, like you said, it's not really an area that's mm-hmm. too much concern. Yeah. And I always think back to the Ryan Getzloff quote, I th- or I think it was Devonte Smith Pelly said that Getzloff said this to him. I can't remember exactly who's Getzloff said it. I can't remember where the quote came from, but it was a uh, go to the net and I'll make you rich. <laughs> was I think that might've been, I want to say that was maybe Maroon that said that. that maybe. Sounds like it, something it was, it was said. one of those ran, one of those wingers. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then uh, do you pay attention to wrestling at all? We have a wrestling question. Um, I don't like my friends watch WWE for a long time. So I have an idea of like who some of the wrestlers are, but I don't, 
pay attention okay. to it. Like, do you know myself. who Cody Rhodes is? I do know who Cody Rhodes is. Do you know who Kenny Omega is? I. It sounds. He's familiar, not in WWE. He's in AEW. That that yeah, I can't there, say. There's a question for you specifically that's saying Cody <laughs> or Kenny Omega. I mean, we'll go Cody just because I know who he is. But okay. I don't know. I don't know what like their beef is with each other. There's no beef. Well, yeah. In storyline, back when Cody was pre back at WWE, there was a big Bullet Club implosion storyline with Cody and Kenny. There is no beef though. It was a story. It's great. They're they're both high end wrestlers in the different companies, basically. Gotcha. And then he had a question for me: Is Kota Ibushi coming to AEW? I mean, sure seems like it. He said that he wants to go to AEW. He's done with New Japan. He has no desire to work in WWE, and I mean, he's best friends with Kenny. Like he's for sure, I think, going to AEW and going to join the elite. So there's that. All right, we made it through all of the Discord questions, and I have some Twitter ones now. I told you, we got a bunch. So, I mean, if you're down for it, we can just keep going. Yeah, let's go. All right. So, I got this DM. Uh, let me pull up my DMs right now. From Matthew Macias said, um, what's the ceiling for Drysdale, Zellweger, Minchukov, and Leno? Mm, so, Zellweger, Drysdale, Minchukov, and Leno. Um, we'll start with Drysdale, I guess, just because he's the guy that's gotten NHL games. The ceiling, I I think it's really hard to tell just because he basically lost the season due to injury. Um, I don't think he's a number one kind of defenseman. I think maybe he's kind of in that Cam Fowler mode where he's a really good number two um, and you have someone else take over as the number one. It's it's really hard to tell. I don't want to like box him in yeah. just because we haven't seen like the best from him yet. You know, he's played like a season and a half so far. Yeah. He's only 20. He just turned 21. Yeah. So he's not even close to reaching his peak yet. I think the best case scenario is that he does turn into like a number two. Like not, obviously not Kale McCarr because like guys like that don't grow on trees. But something in that mold or maybe like an Evan Bouchard where he kind of becomes that number one offensive threat, like the right-handed shot on the power play and somebody that's able to take a lot of the hard matchups. And then... Um, Zellweger, Leno, and Minchukov. Um, Leno, it's kind of hard to say too. I think uh, next year he'll probably spend another year in the queue. Yeah. He had a really, really great year for Gatineau. Um, he set a ton of records, and um, I think he really put himself on the radar as to why he was such a coveted pick last year ahead of um, all the injuries, and that's the main reason why he dropped to the second round. But he definitely had a really good season. I think it's kind of the same thing for him as Drysdale is just being able to keep progressing. Um, and hopefully he can become one of those guys that's like a staple on the blue line. And then for Zellweger and Minchukov, I think they're kind of similar in for me in the way that they're both kind of at that level where they obviously have the offensive talent and um, you want to see a little bit more on the defensive end just because mm-hmm. as a defenseman, you're going to be on the ice a lot and you're going to face yeah. a lot of important matchups. So you want to make sure that they can hold their own in the defensive end, um, I do remember I said that Zellweger might have to work on his strength a little bit in, in terms <laughs> of defending. I don't really think that's an issue anymore, just watching more of him. Um, yeah. I think it's like, just a matter of... That dude's of, a beast. Yeah. It's just a matter of like reading and adjusting to the speed of the game. I know yeah. when I talked to, to Jackson, McComb, and Drew Hellison, they said that the main thing is just adjust. Everything is the same. Mm-hmm. It's just adjusting to the speed. Yeah. Um, and I kind of talked to Nestorenko about that too. It's just... The speed is just the main thing, and then um, having enough time to make plays that you normally would make is yeah. like those. Those are the two big obstacles, I would say. Yeah. So if they can if they can overcome that, then 
like adjusting to the NHL will be a breeze for them. Yeah, and I, I think the ceiling for all of them at this point, I think Drysdale's ceiling is a top line or top pairing D-man. Like, I think that's the overall ceiling. I think the same thing for Zellweger and Minjukov. And I think Leno, the ceiling's maybe like a two or three. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's where they're, they're all projecting to be really high in defensemen, I think, which is great to see. And then he also had this question. He's like, um, why do people say that a star player going out west would be bad for the game? Uh, do people not understand that there's an East Coast bias that is so prevalent in hockey more so than baseball or football or basketball? Um, and, and so more so kind of wondering why do people think, because I, I think this kind of comes more so from, like, Connor Bedard going to the Ducks would be bad for the game. Why do you think that's happening, and does it frustrate you? Um, it probably doesn't frustrate me as much as it would have, just because of what I've been exposed to um, mm-hmm. in covering kind of stuff, yeah. especially when I was covering the Kings for their playoff runs. Yeah, um, I think it's just because in free agency you don't usually see guys coming out west, and whether that's mm-hmm. East Coast bias or not. But I'd, like even for the Ducks having a a marquee signing, I guess, like, John Klingberg would have been that guy this past summer. Yeah. Um, but before that, was a big that, deal. before that, it's, like, you'd have to go back several years or whenever to find, like, the last time the Ducks went out and, or even the Kings went out and made, like, a really, really big signing. Like, for, for whatever reason, guys don't typically come out here. And I think uh, maybe some of it is, like, a tax issue. I know, like, some players have pointed to that, and that's why they mm-hmm. have... Uh, teams like that on their no trade list um but i mean i don't know personally i mean just that's just because we live here but i don't know why you wouldn't want to play out here like you're it's really nice weather all year round you get to go to the beach disneyland whatever um yeah i I don't yeah i guess it's it's maybe it's like a preference thing and just growing up like a lot of guys don't spend time out here yeah, I, 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 I think we're going to see a, see a transition as more and more players from California are breaking into the league, mm-hmm. of coming home, playing for the team. Um, all right, we got this one from Trevor Zebras saying, uh, what do you think is more likely? Corey Perry hangs it up, signs with a contender, or has one last year as a duck? He is 100% signing with a contender. I, someone can clip this and throw it okay. in my face if he signs with the Ducks or something. But he oh. said he intends to play until he's 40. I can't imagine he wants to play three more years for the Ducks. I think he wants to win one more cup, and whether that's with Tampa or some other contender, maybe he goes to Vegas and plays for them. Um, But I think Perry definitely wants to be in the playoffs for the remainder of his career, or at least the last two to three years, and maybe he comes back to Anaheim for the last year. Uh, But Don't wait on my parade. I have him (laughs) signing with – I'm going signing with the Ducks. I'm going full pie in the sky. Ducks hit Connor Bedard. As a result of that, Corey Perry wants to come back, finish out his final seasons with the team, take uh, raise his son where he was born. I think his son was born here. I'm going with that. I'm I'm going with the narrative right now of that. That's what happened. And uh, wants to end it in the and be here for the 30th season. Be on the team when they retire. Getzloff's number. You know, I'm just going full narrative street right now. Yeah, I have seen a lot of that over the last uh, couple of days. You and. Uh, Felix and I think Connor too has been talking about it a little bit. It's the feel good story. Just yeah, just it, run with it. It's, it definitely you're is. right. You're right. It's probably more likely he signs the contender. Mm-hmm. But I want the feel good story. <laughs> and then he said, "Do you think with the success he's having, uh, the Devils view Akira Schmidt as their their goalie for the future, or do you think we'll pursue a new goalie in the off season?" Mm, it's tough for them because they have 
uh, Vanacek, who's going to be a free agent. They have mm-hmm. Blackwood, I think, is going to be a free agent too. And then they had Jonathan Bernier, who's been on IR for however long. He's also yeah. a free agent. It's a shame because um, that was a good pickup for him. Yeah. So you, you, I guess you can roll, depending on how they finish this season, I think you mm-hmm. can maybe roll with Schmid. Um, he's still young. He's 22. Yeah. Yep. And then they also have uh, Nico Dawes, who's uh, also a really young goaltender. Real quick, Vanacek has two more years at 3-4. Oh, he does. I don't know why I thought he was the first. And yeah, Blackwood, so. Blackwood's RFA. Okay, so yeah. So you roll with Vanacek and Schmidt then. And yeah. I think depending on um, how far they go in the playoffs, I think you you maybe go with Schmidt. Just because even Vanacek's um, his history, his body of work is not all too impressive. And the signing of him was just more of like, oh, we don't really have a secure option behind Mackenzie Blackwood. Let's see if we can bring in somebody... Um, kind of untested, but he's still young enough where we can maybe get something good out of this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think my the question is, I, I think if they go deep, I think Akira Schmidt has the job. And we've, seen it so many, we've seen it so many times, right? You look at Matt Murray in, in Pittsburgh. When, when they have a young goaltender that really takes things and runs with it, he, he really gets the push the next year. And so I think mm-hmm. that kind of nips anything of Gibson to the devil's um, I think if Schmid maybe falters in the next round, maybe that provides a little bit more for that of kind of, it was just a hot run for gold ending. Um, all right. Uh, we're going to go now to, we have some more Twitter questions. Uh, S unfolded said, how much autonomy, if any, do draft prospects and their families have over what team drafts them? Asking as I'm thinking about young prospects, not wanting to go to an organization like Chicago with a recent history of abuse and little accountability. Sadly, they don't really have any. No. It, it it's it's where they're taken and that's where they go and it, you don't really have a choice or a say and i mean i've made the argument of you do away with the draft to give players autonomy you can put in a bunch of rules about how much you can pay for guys things like that but that that's really the way to fix it and get around this and but if you have a draft like this there really is no autonomy the players yeah, go where they're gonna where they're picked and so yeah it sucks, but I mean they're also being able to play in the NHL, so it, it it is a give and take. I would personally like to see players have some say in where they go, but that's just me. Um, I know not everyone has that same viewpoint. Yeah, um, I think some of that would go back to then players would just want to keep signing with maybe the same teams. Yeah, I, I think you would have to have like something in place of maybe you keep the salary cap and you just have no cap on what you sign players to and so if you want to go and give Connor Bedard a 12 million dollar deal go for it or a max contract go for it but you have to have the cap space for it Mm -hmm. and so if the the Maple Leafs can't go and sign every single prospect right that wants that's from Toronto and so that's one way to maybe do it um maybe you you make a do what what the MLB has done right for international signings and you have a pool of money that you can use to sign players Mm-hmm. And you can trade for it and do things like that. And so that's another way that you could probably do it to make it work. There are ways I think that you could implement rules where teams can't stockpile all the assets. Yeah. Cause that's really what you're trying to get, get around. And honestly, it would be kind of really fascinating to see all the moves teams are trying to make to get space for Connor Bedard. Yeah, but, definitely. But I mean, that's not the world we live in. So yeah. Um, so, and I mean, 
Tussle saying what's stopping players from taking less money to form a super team. I mean, that that's also fair, but if they're going to a super team, they're not going to play as much, which is going to limit their long-term earning potential also. So there's give and takes with all of it. I mean, Derek, you pay attention to European soccer. That's kind of the give and take with that also, right? If you're not playing and you sign for Man City, that's going to hurt your probably next contract at the end of it all. Yeah, I mean, we just look at Chelsea. They signed like a million players this uh, this past transfer window, and now guys are going to be unhappy with how little they play, and they just joined the team like two months ago. Yeah. Or even for like the NBA, I know guys in the past would take less money to kind of uh, help finagle around the luxury tax and whatnot. But in the NBA, there's 12 players usually that play a game. And so even like the eighth guy on the bench is playing at least like 10 minutes. Yeah. Whereas you can't really do that in the NHL. There's there's 20 guys, there's 18 skaters and two goalies. And especially as a goalie, only one guy gets to start every night. So. Yeah, I I think there are ways to kind of make it work, but I don't think the NHL ever will. But that, like, if Gary Bettman actually thinks tanking is a problem or actually wants to stop it, that's how you stop tanking is by doing that. Um, So Sean Siebel asking, uh, question for the pod, what were Sam Steele's numbers this year, and what does that say about Anaheim? So let me look it up. I'm curious where his uh, RIPM charts ended up at. But I know his traditional stats were a lot better because I know that he scored more than six goals. Yeah, which which was somehow what he scored every single season was six <laughs> goals, and then this year surpassed that. But I mean, I think it's interesting if you look at Sam Steele. You yeah, I mean his numbers looking at his Rapham chart on Evolving Hockey is pretty solid actually. But I mean, there's a whole bunch of guys that left the Ducks and improved so much this year. Whether it is Sam Steele, whether it's Josh Mahura, even whether it's I mean, you can look at Hampus Lindholm and how well he played and. I, I think all of it comes back to, to one thing for me personally. Let me know if you disagree, but it's just a misutilization, misstructure, however you want to put it, but it comes back to Dallas Akins. Yeah, I think the the blanket statement is usually like a change of scenery is kind yeah. of what puts it or kind of lets it click for a player. And I think we did see that a little bit last year when Lynn Holm was with the Ducks. Like he, he clearly wasn't the pl- same kind of player that he was during those playoff runs. And yeah. the same can kind of be said for Josh Manson because – once he went to the Avalanche, he looked like a completely different player, and he was a big part of why they made that run to the cup final. Yep. Yeah, and I think it just – I think when you have all these guys having that change of scenery, right, and you kind of look back at, okay, what is that change of scenery from? And it all has this one through line to kind of why Dallas Akins is no longer employed by the Ducks and just how much of an impact that has – and how much that honestly could cause a boost for this team next year. And so, uh, yeah. And anything else on that? Because if not, we're going to get to Twitch and YouTube questions. No, yeah, I think just whoever the next coach is, I, I have no idea who it will be. Yeah. But um, whoever they pick will be, that will have such a big impact on the development curves of guys like Zegers and McTavish and even Terry Drysdale, like, that's somebody that they're going to learn from for at least like the next two or three years. And if you don't put those pieces in the right place for their development, then that can end up being really bad for the rest of their career. Yep. All right. So now we're going to get to Twitch and YouTube. So if those of you listening on your favorite podcast services, we do a stream of this show whenever we do go live. Typically it's Mondays at 7 p.m. at twitch.tv slash crashspawn, where if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free and Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. You can be just like Ken Pafu, 
who resubbed for 38 months, uh, said X10 Silverberg. Uh, I swear, Kempafu is just Silverberg's burner. Uh, or you can be like Firebite to subscribe for, uh, for his third month, uh, say, and also added, Derek does the best work, so shout out to you. Um, you. And if you can be just like them and subscribe to the channel, it helps out more than you can imagine. Or if you prefer watching on YouTube, or, I mean, everyone at this point uses YouTube, go subscribe to the channel, Crash the Pond, just look it up on there. Like our video, subscribe to the channel. It does help out more than you can imagine. And so Firebytes asked, uh, what is your guys' plan if we win the, the if we win next Monday? Well, um, <laughs> I was actually talking to Arash Markazi, who's the, the head of the Sporting Tribune. Shout out Arash. Yeah. But um, I asked him a couple weeks ago, I said, uh, if the Ducks win, would we be able to get someone down there to Nashville to cover the draft and to interview the prospects, whoever they draft? And he said, yeah, we can definitely look into that and try to see where that goes from there. So um, I think that would be the plan. I think even mm -hmm. regardless of the Ducks win or not, I think it would be great to have coverage down there. So I think we'll just have to see how that goes. Yep. And shout out to you because I know you would be one the one doing that. I think... I mean, first off, the plan would be Felix and I are planning to do a podcast next Monday at 9 p.m. Because Felix has a final from 6 to 9. <laughs> so if you don't hear from Felix, it's not because he's ignoring the lottery stuff. I think he's going to actually, like, turn off his phone and just come out and find out what happens at 9 p.m. So we're going to do a podcast at 9 p.m. next week uh, to be able to react to what happened, do kind of a quick hitter on, on what happened. Um, I'll probably though, when I get home, if they win, I'll probably be running around the street, the, the street, uh, being excited, yelling, people will be wondering what I'm doing. Um, but that's probably not happening. But in reality, um, Thatcher Alt had a question of, will we get a draft lottery stream next week? So there won't be a live stream because of exactly what I said with Felix having, uh, the, um, his final. And then also it's at 4 PM mm -hmm. is when it starts. And so I'll be driving home. Hopefully I make it home in time before they finally announce it. Um, and so, but there actually will be a really cool thing on the, the discord or if you subscribe to our Patreon and hop in the discord, good friends of the show, Mike and Bob are putting together kind of like a little zoom hangout during the draft lottery. And afterwards there will be a trivia for that. So, uh, I think we're going to do a giveaway of like a mug or something like that. So, um, good times reason to subscribe to the dis uh, subscribe to the Patreon and get in the discord. And he also said, uh, also Derek, what are your thoughts on Del Taco? I haven't had Del Taco in like years. So, um, I mean, if you, if you need a snack or you need something quick, I don't see what's wrong with going to Del Taco. I feel like all all the fast food places, they're not the same, but it's kind of, if you need to get something and you want to eat something, it's like late or whatever. Who cares, you know? Oh, I love me some Del Taco, as you probably know because you've listened to this. But, uh, I mean, also, I, I should also have full disclosure. My wife works for Del Taco. Uh. So <laughs> that plays a part in it. Um, yeah. But uh, she's an accountant for them. But, uh, yeah, Del Taco is amazing. Uh, it is one of my favorite fast food chains. Uh, Hardcore Luchador, and that's definitely why the question came in. Uh, <laughs> Hardcore Luchador said, question, after watching the success of former Ducks, uh, D players, Montour, Mahur, Her, Theodore, uh, are we confident in how the Ducks will be developing these young defensive studs? Yeah, I think so, just because, I mean, obviously they didn't pan out the way that we expected them to on the Ducks, but they definitely had the groundwork for that in Anaheim. Those those are guys that the Ducks drafted and they kind of brought up through the AHL or whatever league they played in before. 
And while it didn't really work out for them once they got to the NHL, we, we see like the steps that they were able to take. Montour, I think Montour had his moments in Anaheim and then he went to Buffalo and that kind of stagnated for him. But even for like Theodore, you definitely saw flashes of that. And I think part of that was just because of who was behind the bench at the time in Randy Carlisle and not really wanting them to kind of play at their, their freest, I guess, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the way like the, the team was structured but yeah like th- these guys are players that obviously we saw could do very well and um, the fact that they're doing well elsewhere I don't think that has to do with the like bad development I, quote quote I also think you can't really compare that to this current incarnation of the Ducks because I mean the the player development crew is no longer the same the GM's not the same like, the entire front office has been turned over, basically. Todd Marchant's right. no longer with the team. I can't recall if Todd Marchant was the director of player development while Montour, Mahura, and Theodore. Definitely for Mahura, but not sure about Montour and Theodore. But all of that's been turned over at, at this point in time. There, there's a whole new group in there. There's a whole new coach in Matt McElvain. It's no longer with Montour and Theodore. It was Dallas Akins. And so it. I just don't think you can have a, a through line from maybe – misevaluations of those guys to the current D studs because it's just a completely different group. Yeah. And I think the way that, especially, especially because it's a different development staff, like you mentioned, um, just even for Pavel Minchukov, when he got traded from Saginaw yeah. to Ottawa, they wanted to focus more on his defensive game because his offensive game is already refined, but they wanted yeah. to make sure he's capable on both ends. And part of that goes back to just the organization Kind of being, hey, we we want our guy to be successful at both ends, and um, just identifying what areas of work that they need to improve on. Yep. All right, Matt in our YouTube chat said, Derek, if you had time, had time to check out the 2023 draft eligible players, probably out. What he means is outside of uh, Batard, Fantilli, Mitchkov, Carlson. Have you been able to kind of dive into the other guys? Maybe the guys that would be in the second round with the Ducks having so many second round picks. Yeah, I actually had. Um, let me pull it up. I actually was working on a doc for a little bit of uh, what guys that the Ducks could be looking at, um, especially when we weren't sure where the Ducks were going to be in the first round. Mm-hmm actually had a couple of those guys like Zach Benson, for example, in the top five. Um, But just looking at some of the guys that I had on my list, because the Ducks pick at 33, 50, and 64 in the second round. So a couple of guys I was looking at would be like Luca Pinelli, who actually plays with Pavel Minchukov. It's actually going to be better than – I think it's going to be better than 64 with Boston losing because it just repeats the first round. Um, And so with Boston losing, that's going to make it even better. I think it might be like 60 or 59, I think. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, because um, those are Colorado and Boston's picks. Yeah, so, so 50, 59 with Colorado and then or with uh, Boston and then Colorado. I can't recall where that ended up at. It probably has a little bit things um, to do with that. But, yeah, so it, it actually improves the second rounders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Luca Pinelli, uh, he plays with Pavel Minchukov in Ottawa. That was kind of the guy I was looking at just because uh, watching Minchukov, um, being able to watch other guys, especially because – um, my friend is, has told me he always felt like if you hear a guy's name being said by the broadcast over and over, that probably means he's doing a lot of good things. And mm-hmm. that was one of the names that I heard a lot was Luca Pinelli. Uh, Bradley Nadeau, who plays in the BCHL for Penticton, uh, he was a guy that really had a great season in the BCHL. I, am, I know a lot of scouts, they kind of discredit the high scoring rates in the BCHL just because it's kind of looked at a little lower 
tier below like the other CHL uh, leagues or what you have it. Um, there's one guy that I was looking at a little bit. I need to look into a little bit more is Tom Willander. Mm-hmm. And okay. he plays for Rogla, who actually he played with Cali Klang Ooh. a little bit. I want to say, I think he might have played for the U20 team. So maybe okay. not with Klang, but he's in that organization. And he just nice. recently played with uh, Sweden at the U18s. And they nice. finished second to the US last night. So um, that's probably one guy I want to take a little bit mm-hmm. of a look more. And then I'm going to mention... Uh, Martin Mishak, because I know uh, Connor was talking about that guy earlier. Is he today. Slovakian? Yes, he is. Okay. That, yeah. If Connor's talking about him, then probably Slovak. Yeah. So he plays for Youngston in the USHL. He's a right okay. wing. Uh, that's kind of somebody maybe you look at more in the third rounder. It's weird because the Ducks have uh, such close picks between this, like the end of the second and the beginning of the third. So you can kind of throw like those kinds of guys in like a big basket because. I'm, I'm not sure who will be available at that time, but those are kind of a couple of guys I was looking at. There's obviously a really extensive list that I still have that I need to look at a lot more, but those are just some of the guys I was looking at and thinking about. Yep. Uh, Michael B. asked in our YouTube chat, is it fair to say any of Bedard, Fantilli, and Carlson will be the Ducks' best prospects since Paul Korea? Hmm. I think Carlson I wouldn't make that case for. I no. think Bedard you for sure would. Mm-hmm. Fantilli, I think probably. You look at his scoring rates in, in the NCAA and how it would compare. It's like Eichel level, Korea level. I mean, I, I think it's hard because gets lost there also. Yeah. So where do you put Fantilli for, versus that? But I think Bedard, Bedard, yes. Fantilli questionable. Carlson, no. Are they talking about in terms of like prestige? Because you know, gets off as a late round pick. Or are they just terms of like, um, like where they got to? Probably when drafted, would okay. be my guess is when drafted. Because Getzloff got there, but probably at the time of draft. Because Korea was so high profile when he was yeah. drafted. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Fantilli's potentially Bedard. Yes. Yeah, I would. I would agree with that as well. Okay, and then let's end with this one. Tussie or Tussle said, Derek, who would you pick? for the next head coach of the Ducks? Uh, well, somebody I've kind of had my eye on a little bit is uh, Ryan McGill on the okay. New Jersey Devils, and he's the assistant coach. He runs the penalty kill, if I remember correctly, and he okay. works with the defenseman a lot. Ooh. And he was actually with the Vegas Golden Knights. He was okay. on uh, Peter DeBoer's staff there, okay. and then he moved to New Jersey. Here, let me pull it up. Um, he I moved mean that- to New Jersey... I just was going to add, I mean, their defense is one of the best puck puck moving defenses in the league that that's the reason why they get it on transition is just how their uh, defense is able to move the puck. Yeah. So he he was part of the inaugural uh, Vegas Golden Knights coaching staff and he was there for five seasons and then he joined New Jersey's staff this past summer. Uh, He works with the defense and the penalty kill, like I said. Um, And I don't remember her name right now. I'm really sorry, but uh, the social media manager for the New Jersey Devils, she said that McGill is really vocal and hands-on with the defenseman. Uh, he did. I know he did a lot of work with Shea Theodore and Zach Whitecloud when he was in Vegas. So that's um, something really to look forward to. And especially um, when the Devils have guys like Luke Hughes and uh, Simon Nemich, those are two guys that yeah. are going to be coming up eventually, and they'll be a big part of the defense. So, um, And also Ryan McGill played in the NHL with Rob DeMille, who's the general manager yep. of the San Diego Goals. He also played um, with DeMille in, du- in the WHL. And he's somebody that's had extensive head coaching experience at the CHL and the AHL 
levels, but he's never coached at the, he's never been a head coach at the NHL level. So that's kind of somebody that Verbeek wanted to look at Yeah, as somebody that kind of like a John Cooper, I know that, like that gets thrown around a lot, especially like they just brought in McIlvain, um, but somebody who hasn't coached at the NHL level as a head coach, but you kind of bring somebody in new blood, if you will, and well, see what they and can he has do. some NHL experience. I think the issue with, with McIlvain, right, is all of his time was spent over in Europe with different ice surface. I think with McGill, you can make the argument he at least knows the North American ice, the North American uh, style, things like that. And so that's probably something it is. So that, that's a really good shout. Um, yeah, I don't really have any idea at this point because I've jumped off the brunette train. Um, just that video that came out was not the best, so kind of jumped off that train a little bit. Um, don't really have an idea, honestly, of who I would want to see. I, I'm I'm very curious for when names start dropping because right now all we've gotten from like the insiders is I've been told this is someone yeah. that <laughs> that that the Ducks should look at, and it's like more so peddling names for that that they think would be good fits without actually like they're not actual like names that are being interviewed. And I think Elliot Friedman even came out and said he's like I have no idea what Pat Verbeek's thinking or like who he's looking at. And it's yeah. like Okay, great. So I, I think it's going to be fascinating once we get those names, just like when we started getting GM names and we, we got Pat Verbeek, we got, uh, Mc, what was it, McFarland from the Avalanche. We got him in that mix um, and some other names started to come in. And so I, I think once we get some like names and can really dive into it, Joe Sacco is a name that, that's kind of popped up here and there, but I don't really necessarily see it. Um, so I, I think once we get like actual like hard room not rumors but information on who they've talked to i think that's going to be fascinating yeah and i think some of that will actually come maybe not after the playoffs but maybe kind of this when we're coming down to the rounds because if they're looking at guys who are in the playoffs like mcgill like brunette these guys are obviously wanting to stay focused on the task at hand and then once they're either knocked out or they win whatever happens then okay um we can kind of sit down and talk to these guys too. And one other guy that I actually wanted to bring up is Kevin Deneen, who was actually the goals head coach a couple of years ago before Dallas Aikens came in. Uh, he left the organization because um, they didn't really give him the opportunity to kind of move up and potentially be the Ducks head coach. And he's also he coached the Portland Pirates back when uh, Getzoff and Perry were in the AHL. And I'm not sure if that's something like he would want to think about coming back to the Ducks organization again, depending on uh, what he thinks of the new regime. But that was kind yeah. of a name I wanted to throw out there. He's also, I think, he played with uh, he played with Verbeek and Demile both in the NHL. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's something to think about, but I just know I mean, because it builds a uh, rapport for an interview, right? It makes yeah. it easier. Because even looking at um, when Rob Demile came in last year, he was somebody that played with Verbeek at one point in the NHL. So maybe that's, like we always say, like the NHL is an old boys club. So kind of having that familiarity with people is sometimes why they go, like executives go down the path that they do in hiring yeah. coaches and whatnot. So, Yep. So, all right. I think that's going to do it for tonight. We are at the hour 35 mark. So this has been a good one. This is one of the longer ones. So I really, really appreciate you kind of jumping on, doing all this with me. Um, before I get to all of the plugs, anything you want to plug? Um, not necessarily. I mean, my Twitter is like right here. Yep. Where is it? Right here. Mirrored. Yeah, yeah, you're good. Yeah. Derek underscore Lee 27. Um, should have 
a lot of stuff coming out this summer on the Ducks. And there's not going to be a lot right now just because we don't have anything to look forward to besides the draft lottery. But once that's over, um, a lot of stuff will be picking up. I'll actually be in Korea next month. So nice. Um, there might not be as much stuff. I'll try to keep up as much as I can during that time. But um, we'll we'll, myself, we'll have stuff stuff on the website. I'll, I'm I'm due to get some more articles up once the off season hits. I feel like that's when when my blood starts to get going and can get some stuff up. So um, yeah, so just I guess check out the Sporting Tribune. Check out Derek's stuff there. Um, always great coverage from Derek there. Hopefully more coming up from him at the draft, and hopefully more. I mean, there's going to be stuff I think from all three of us right as the draft lottery comes. We probably should sit down and text and put together an approach for articles for that as, as that starts to come. But, uh, if you want to check that out, go to sportingtribune.com. uh, check it out. It's a really great site. I mean, whether you're a ducks fan or you uh, also watch other sports, have other teams that you're a fan of everything. Southern California is covered there. So go check it out. Uh, you can also check out crashthepond.com. We, we have writers over there that are doing CJ put out an article. I think it came out this morning, just kind of more. So there's a, a overarching narrative about the draft lottery being rigged. And so CJ kind of broke down, no, that's not the case. Here are the odds. Ernst and Young does this. Here's how it breaks down. It actually was really, really informative. Shout out to CJ because he broke down like how they actually do it and where those percentages come from and how the numbers are drawn and all the lottery balls and really fascinating and good stuff from CJ. So go check that out. Uh, and then you can check me out on Twitter at Reindeer Games 91. Like Derek said, at uh, you can check me out at Derek underscore Lee. Check out Crash Pond at Twitter uh, at Crash Pond on Twitter. You can find our live streams at twitch.tv slash Crash Pond where you can support us with Amazon Prime and uh, with uh Twitch, uh, Twitch Prime Gaming. Go to youtube.com uh, slash Crash Pond and like and subscribe to the channel. If you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review there. It helps out more than you can imagine. It helps boost us on the rankings, on the charts, puts us in a more visible fashion. Uh, Spotify also. I see Spotify reviews. It helps out more than you can imagine. Um, and probably the last place you can go to is our Patreon. That's probably the most fun thing. At the $1 tier, patreon.com slash Crash Pond. You get access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord where it's one of the most fun places to talk hockey. It's a good time. Um, so you get access to that. At $5, you get two bonus episodes from me and Felix where, I mean, Felix claims that I forced him to tweet something very controversial. So you get to hear that play out, I guess. Um, and at $15 a month, you just get all of that stuff and you just support us a little bit more. So uh, please go check all of that out. And I think with that all being said, may the odds be in the Ducks' favor. And we'll talk to you after the draft lottery next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.